0: Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb. And then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. every month because, like, yes, good credit. So let's, like, do try to do that and, like, making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. In the brand new book, Dear Buy Men, Author, peer counselor, and creator of the hashtag Bisexual men Speak, J.R. Youssef offers an unapologetic guide for readers who are Black, mask, and bi. The book features cutting social analysis, personal stories, and reclaims bi-plus visibility in a culture of erasure. It also offers practical feedback on how to unlearn internalized biphobia and homophobia, fight back against erasure and stigma, Navigate sex, dating, partnerships, marriage, friendship, and much more. It's available now wherever books are sold. North Atlantic Books is offering listeners 25% off, plus free shipping. Purchase Dear Buy Men at www.northatlanticbooks.com and use code CURIOUS25 at checkout for 25% off and free shipping. U.S. mailing address required. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Oh my God. You guys... I do kind of feel like I became like the Susan Lucci of podcasting in the sense that, you know, Getting Curious had been number two several times, and I was so comfortable with that and so grateful for that. Like, who even gets to have a number two podcast? And then I was like, you know, number one was just probably not something that, like, baby Getting Curious is, like, going to have, and, like, who needs to be number one? Okay, but, like, obviously that's a lie, because, like, who doesn't love to be number one, and you get so close, and it's, like, Susan Lucci, and I just want that, hey! And she finally got that number one spot, and I just want to say... Thank you guys so much for every single one of you that like downloaded and wrote a review and, and, and told your friends and, and for, and for the amazing writers that wrote pieces about getting curious and just like for everyone that's supporting getting curious. Like I thank you so much. Like thank you for like listening to me attempt to learn and formulate sentences. Um, I'm like so blown away and I'm like so honored by you guys and I love you so much. And, uh, without more of me freaking out, let's get to this episode of getting curious. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 30 minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. This week, I'm curious about traumatic family separation and how it affects children with Dr. Elizabeth Barnett. Hey, welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness, and this week uh, I'm I I would say excited. I'm using that word loosely because I'm not excited to talk about the subject necessarily because it's devastating and tragic. Um, Comma, I am excited to have you here, uh, Dr. Barnard, which, interesting story, you guys. We actually know each other. Uh, tell You tell the story.
1: Sure. First of all, thank you for having me here. Of course. Here. About three years ago, I I got one a haircut in an auction at our preschool that Jonathan had donated. And I had the marvelous experience of meeting you, relaxing for about two hours, and getting a fabulous haircut. It's wonderful to see you again.
0: Well, you too. Um, And I'm so excited that you're here. So basically, uh, Mary is this amazing uh, producer who I work with, and uh, she works with me here on Getting Curious. And I was talking to her, and I was like, you know, obviously, Child separations at the border has been something that's been very much in the news and it's been something that's been in the forefront of everyone's minds. And I wanted to talk about what is going on at the border and like what the American government is responsible for right now is like appalling and important and like has to stop. And we have to figure out how to reunify these families. But what I was curious about is what are like the long term um, effects for these children and like what they go through? And to take it back to hair, because in my head, a lot of times things come back to hair, it's like you can do a million amazing haircuts and people like aren't going to write home and tell their mom about like this, you know, great haircut that they got. But if someone gets like an awful haircut, like they're going to tell everyone about that. And if the goal of like protecting the border is like to make us a more safe place, like to me, it's like, we've now made like all of these kids who like think like they're going to be so traumatized, like at the hands of our government, like you've made all of these people who've given like not just a bad haircut, you've like scarred their souls you know? So it's like even worse than a bad haircut. So I feel like we've given a lot of people really messed up haircuts, but to their souls. So I'm worried about it. And I want to have you tell us about it.
1: Sure. So you're right. Family separation is a profound trauma. Unlike a haircut that you can grow out of, it leaves scars that impacts children, what seems to be for their whole life. There's a lot of different ways to answer this question, kind of The short way to say it is that family separation is linked to anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, and likely linked to negative effects on physical health, such as stress-related illnesses like heart disease. Thinking about the bigger picture, I've done research in El Salvador, and I've been able to see what are the effects of family separation on young people 20, 30 years later, and it is clear that the family separation impact their entire lives, um, regardless of how long the separation is. It's just something that changes everything that people go through.
0: Well, there's one thing I wanted to ask you um, as you were talking. It's like, I was trying to think of other situations where, like, family separations would be on this scale and would have happened in, like, other times, other places, and, like, where we would be able to, like, study this from. You are a doctor, and you study—oh, also, by the way, guys, we had chatted a little bit before uh, this episode about Dr. Barnard does not love being called Dr. Barnard. She's like, please call me Liz. So I'm going to start calling her Liz, but I don't want y'all to think I'm being disrespectful, so we're going to start calling you Liz now. Um, So, Liz, what are you a doctor, and, like, what do you study?
1: I'm a pediatrician. I do research on vulnerable youth, focused right now largely on youth in the juvenile justice system. My previous research was about kids in El Salvador that were forcibly separated during the Civil War. And I do general pediatrics clinical work, such as giving kids their vaccines, treating ear infections, things like that.
0: Wow. Um, So much information. Can
1: I answer your last question? Because it is such a good question. I'm so glad you asked. So, What other circumstances are families separated in? I am really grateful to the media for paying a lot of attention to these issues of separation that are happening at the border. I think for a lot of people that work in the field, it's very clear to us, like you acknowledge that we're creating a lifelong trauma, and there are also many other ways that children are separated from their families. So even before the zero tolerance policy from the Trump administration, we had a lot of families separated through these cycles of immigration and poverty, entire generations, this concept of transnational families, where your concept of who is a nuclear family. I've never even
0: heard of a transnational family.
1: It's when your family is on two sides of the border. So your concept of your nuclear family is really about calling cards and phone calls. And the person you see as your maternal figure might be your aunt. This is what we see with a lot of immigrant families. Families also become separated by natural disasters. Millions Mm. of families are separated worldwide. We have tens of thousands of kids in the foster care system in L.A. County alone.
0: Wait, tens of thousands in L.A. County alone.
1: And then the numbers on parental incarceration are staggering.
0: Oh, my God. I never even would have thought about how mass incarceration holds the hand of, like, family separation already from in the country, like, absent of illegal immigration. And we've talked about this before on this podcast, but the way um, that marijuana came to be criminalized in this country, along with crack cocaine, was, like, definitely made in the 70s by the Nixon administration to, like, further, you know— incarcerate like people of color and people that were more vulnerable to using those drugs in the first place. Whereas like the drugs that their white counterparts use were like less criminalized like cocaine and um, like acid or no, no, they did acid and weed the worst. And then they did crack second. Like, right. Do you know about this from the 13th, that documentary? Yeah.
1: It's very powerful.
0: (sighs) But yeah. So mass incarceration, like obviously would hold the hand of like family separation already from in this country.
1: Yeah. So let's think about the numbers there because they are truly staggering. More than half of the adults currently incarcerated are parents to children under 18. One in 28 children have a parent that's currently incarcerated. And one in nine black children have a parent that's currently incarcerated.
0: One in nine African-American children. That is insane. It is like not okay. So I just observed in my own psyche that like my fix it part came up and I was like, well, what do we do to like fix this? Like, but I guess I feel like I'm not even like allowed to go right to fixing it yet. Cause like we don't, we don't understand a full scope of this problem. So what did you find in your research in El Salvador? I would imagine that the child separations in El Salvador would be like, maybe a little bit more traumatic because of like, not that it's a competition, but just cause you were seeing like so much physical violence in that case. But what do, what do we see from from families that are separated, like what are the traumas that are incurred?
1: That is exactly the way I think about the, the work that I did in El Salvador. That group of young people really are an extreme example of family separation because they were forcibly separated during the Civil War. So this is with bombs being dropped on the head, running from the military, shooting at them, children being pulled by their hair into helicopters, witnessing their parents' assassination. It was truly terrible. What, what earth was that? 1980 to 1982, so the worst years of the Civil War were in the early 80s.
0: Do you keep in contact with any of those kids now?
1: I do, and I have actually pictures that I can show you. These are these are young adults that reunited with, with their families. But I think the lessons from today, from studying the reunion and the reunification process, and actually from being present at these family reunions, I think what we learn is that these family reunions bring a tremendous amount of joy. I think that's what everyone... Would expect. And I think beneath that, what's harder to see is that they are also incredibly painful. The children tend to feel anger, abandonment, confusion, because during the period of separation, they reform family structures Mm -hmm. and new identities. And then when they reunite, it's almost like that trauma of separation again. Though everybody that I've spoken to, I've interviewed 50 people would choose to go through the reunion process again because it is so automatically healing to to meet their families. But I, th- I think the other part of the lesson that's so critical to what we, what we pay attention is that families need a lot of support during reunification. So a lot of people are focusing on these numbers that we've had 57 of the less than five-year-olds have been reunited. And it seems like once we see them reunited people might stop paying attention to them, but these families are going to need more support That's like when the work ever. very
0: first just starts. Exactly. Right.
1: And so one of the things that I learned through the research is that reunification is really a lifelong process where, where people are reconciling still their sense of identity and who they can trust. So...
0: This isn't a new or, like, a newly acute problem in the United States. Like, in the Obama administration and the Bush administration and Clinton administrations, like, all the administrations, through, like, Border Patrol and ICE and enforcement of, like, previously existing, uh, like, broken immigration laws, like, there was already kind of long-term family separation happening already. We just, like, weren't talking about it because it wasn't so forcible and, like, done in this, like, zero-tolerance sort of way. It, like, was—it seemed more benign because it, like, took longer or something.
1: Exactly. The—as— it it wasn't politicized the way it is today and that's why these kids are getting so much attention on one side they're getting attention because it's so political you know we we need to build a wall and then on the other side they're getting attention because it's seen as a humanitarian crisis but these dynamics of family separation have been going on for a long time
0: cuz essentially like the system is just completely broken and like all of these kids like are completely caught in the crosshairs but also it's like I don't know if this is, like, also a separate podcast, but I feel like in the in World War II, like, I think the United States, like, turned away, like, a lot of Jewish people from Europe. And so it seems like we've had, like, like our ability to take people in or, like, want to be able to take people in seems like it's, like, long been broken. Like, that gorgeous little poem on the Statue of Liberty, like, we are not in... Sink very much in fact I had my first Twitter award uh, a little bit ago which was about like Russia and like why people pose on Russian covers of magazines with like LGBTQ followings because I was like why are we supporting this country that is like you know because it's like just do an Instagram video for your Russian fans like do we have to like Go like, you know, support an economy that is, you know, hand in hand with like Russian media is like hand in hand with the government. So it it is like it does feel a little bit harder. But then I was like, oh, because a bunch of people on Twitter, which rightfully pointed out, honey, were like, we're currently keeping like kids in cages separated from their families. So like maybe you should worry about what's going on, you know, right here, right now, like as opposed to like fashion magazines in Russia. And I was like, oh, my God, like to shade like you are right cuz um i i do think that for a long a lot of americans we love to think that we're like really do good you know we're good people we like try so hard and blah 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 but really like wherever your vote went like we do a lot of really not okay stuff like just so deeply like divisive and awful you know and to where i think like if i was one of these children that was like forcibly separated from my family it's like full Uma Thurman kill bill you know, like it's, I'm not loving the United States as one of these kids. And that breaks my heart because I think more of us are good than bad. Like we're better people than we are like a not good people. And I think in general, I'm sure Russia's probably like that. There are probably a lot more like really gorgeous loving Russians and there are like the stupid lawmakers that made like that anti-propaganda law and definitely like than that Chechen leader, you know, it's just easy to judge people.
1: So you, I think you said something extremely important that children are caught in the crosshairs The American Academy of Pediatrics president, Colleen Kraft, authored a statement in response to the executive order to separate the children. And she said, it is important to remember that children do not immigrate. They flee. So all adults listening, I think we need to remember that children don't vote and they count on adults to make decisions for them that keep them safe and healthy.
0: So how did that Go down Like Donald Trump made an immigration order or he just made an executive order that was like, so from now on, if you come in the United States with a child, like you're not entitled, like you don't retain the right to keep your child. Like, that's what the executive order said?
1: My understanding was that the—I'm not an expert on immigration policy, but my understanding is that the zero-tolerance policy basically said that as soon as adults enter, they can be criminalized for the crime of entering the country illegally, and part of that process involves taking them and taking their children away, and the place children were put was largely in detention centers.
0: Which is just, like, unfathomable that we would think that that's, like—but And also, by the way, the other thing is, like, someone's getting rich off that. Like these private prisons, I think these detention centers, that like all these undocumented people are taken to, like someone makes so much money for that. It's insane. Like, I don't know exactly where like that chart is, but she's somewhere and she's very unattractive, but she's making a lot of people very rich. So what does for you, what does like a day in the life of you look like now? Like, what do you do? Who do you talk to? Where do you read the things? Where do you work with the people? Like what happens?
1: So right now, I'm, I'm a professor of pediatrics at UCLA. The m- most special part of my day, and probably the hardest, is getting my kids ready and off to school. One is six, and the other is turning four oh. this month. So dropping one off at the preschool where you donated the haircut, and the other off at elementary school, and then zipping into UCLA in my research office where I'm working as hard as I can to get... Um, crunch data get evidence out that helps people understand family separation juvenile justice uh, we're d- doing right now a study with the LA County Department of Health Services and juvenile justice system if, if it's a Tuesday I'll be in my clinic um, in UCLA Westwood and, you know that that reminds me actually one story worth telling from clinic about four or five months ago I met a family it was a mother four children and um, Latino family, the two oldest children were on the floor in the room playing cards. They were maybe eight and 10. And then the child who was our patient was four years old, like my son. And then there was a younger child who was behaving so well and watching her siblings and one mother. And what the mother was telling us was that their, their father had been deported. And ever since the deportation. The daughter, who was our patient, the four-year-old, could no longer go to preschool. And the reason she couldn't go to preschool was because her sense of trust and security that her mother would be there for her at the end of the day was broken. Ever since her father departed, she had developed such anxiety about separation also, as a pediatrician, kind of looking at the whole picture of the child, if you looked on her growth curve, it was very clear that her weight had shot up into the obesity range, corresponding with her father's d- deportation.
0: Like looking for something to like control, like assuage your feelings, like make, you know comfort yourself through like an extremely uncomfortable time. Um, yeah, it's like second major cry for the moment. Um, so, you know, I would imagine that As a doctor and as a mother, like these last like few months have been like kind of, I mean, bitter, bitter, but there is like a parenthesis of sweet in the sense that it, what you've been, cause you've been studying this for a long time and you, your field of study has kind of hit the lottery of like relevance of what we're talking about. And is there anything, we're going to take a break in a second, but is there anything that's going on that has given you any kind of like hope out of like any of this? Like, or any policy or anything concrete? Like, have you seen any good ideas?
1: I love that the media is listening. I'm very proud of the American Academy of Pediatrics for taking such a strong stance. I I personally feel a lot of pressure and determination to share the voices of the community in El Salvador that I was privileged to meet, that trusted me with their stories. I had a mother. She was one of the founders of the the human rights organization I worked with in El Salvador. And after my interview with her, she put her hand on me and she said, when when you go back to North America, you tell them what happened to us. And so that's what I'm here to do. Uh,
0: I mean... That is so beautiful and so incredibly touching and like your spirit and what you work towards is like so inspiring. And thank God that there's people like you in the world that are like able to do this work. Because I think so many people are like, this is so heartbreaking and like devastating. It's like something they could not look at. Um, So on that note, listen to this commercial and we're going to be right back uh, with more Getting Curious after this. They always say trust your gut. But one time, my gut told me to bleach my eyebrows, and that was fashionable, but not widely well-received. While probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, it can give your gut a little bit of support, and Ritual has your back. They made a 3-in-1 supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Did you know daily disturbances like poor diets, stress, travel, the use of certain medications, and plenty of other factors can throw off your gut microbiome? Oh, no. Enter Ritual. Their Symbiotic Plus has been a gorgeous tool. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide, your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash curious for 25% off. Hey, it's Jonathan Van Ness. Americans United for Separation of Church and State defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose, so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms like abortion rights, marriage equality, public education, and even American democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs. Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them ever take their first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Having built a business or two myself, I know just how difficult the whole process is. But Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Yes! From LLC information to bookkeeping invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC information plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash JVN. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash JVN. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. If you follow me on socials or listen to Getting Curious and Pretty Curious, then you'll know I've been on a real makeup journey over the last few years. I've especially been enjoying a more colorful eyeshadow moment, and I've been loving incorporating Thrive Cosmetics full line of makeup into my routine. With clean, skin-loving ingredients, their foolproof products make it easy for any skill level to apply. One thing that's really major about Thrive is how much they're prioritizing giving back. It feels good to know that when I support Thrive, Thrive turns around and supports the communities around them too. I also love that their high-performance formulas are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free and have zero parabens, sulfates, and phthalates. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at ThriveCosmetics.com slash Curious. That's ThriveCosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S.com slash Curious for 10% off your first order. Welcome back to Getting Curious, this is Jonathan Van Ness, and we are talking about child separation and what happens to families that go through this with a very amazing doctor and woman. And I'm just so excited that you're here, um, albeit for very dev circumstances. So w- one thing you were just saying is that when the the story that you are telling about the family that you were working with a few months ago, and you could see on the charts of the little four-year-old girl that like her weight chart like directly corresponded to a shot into obesity like from when her dad left. I mean, that's like post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Is that the syndrome that you would incur from like going through the separation process with your family, or is there like a different name?
1: That's a good question. I mean, clearly, it seemed like her mental health had been impacted. I didn't get to the level of, of you know reaching the diagnostic criteria, and I would you know refer her to a child psychiatrist to do so. Um, but clearly, it, it seemed like her her psychological world was strongly impacted by her her separation from her father. So
0: what else happens to kids that go through this? Like what's like the biology behind like the behaviors and the physical stuff that kids would go through from going through this process?
1: So I think the concept of toxic stress is is very useful for understanding what's happening to these children. So toxic stress is when you have a stressful event, your stress response turns on, fight or flight, the stress hormones, cortisol hormones. And when you have a repeated stress in the absence of a caregiver, a child doesn't get soothed and so that their body stays in a stressful state. And that is what is called toxic stress. It's the biology to explain how extremely difficult events change how we're functioning. And and over time, this creates a wear and tear on the body called allostatic load. What's really important to understand about toxic stress is that in a young developing brain... Ongoing stress can change the children's ability to learn, to love, to explore the world, and it actually can change the architecture of their brain. So it interferes with child development in a way that when synapses are supposed to be connecting in the brain, it's different. So, kind of an example I have this morning, I was at, this is a little bit of a silly example, but to me, it actually helped understand it at at a different level. So we can think about the separations at, at the border. And the challenges of staying in the detention facility, separated from parents, such a young age where you don't understand what's happening, you can imagine that would be very difficult. Or at the age of a teenager where you somewhat do understand what's happening, that would be very difficult as well.
0: Almost even – well, they're both just so terrible. It's like there's – yeah.
1: So – If you have a caregiver to soothe you, you can turn the stressful response off. So today I was at my my little son, the three-year-old. We took him to a a basketball class at a park in Los Angeles, and he was really loving it. He was passing the ball with, with his friends. It was his first time. He heard there was a trophy at the end, so he was willing to go. And then they asked him to dribble, and this was in front of everybody, and he couldn't dribble. He was hitting the basketball with his fist. He was throwing it ahead of him. Ugh. It wasn't working. Yeah,
0: we hate to dribble. And hate then, it.
1: I wasn't paying attention to him. I was looking the other way, and the next thing I know, he's run over to me, and he's climbed onto my lap, and he needed a hug. And I don't mean like a hi, nice to see you what hug, like a 10-minute hug, and yes. you're going to hold my hand the rest of the time that we are here. And as I was holding him and soothing him— I just kind of had this moment of realization, this is how you extinguish a toxic stress. It's this maternal, paternal nurturing that is so important for healthy development.
0: We learned in this one podcast where I had Stan Takanon, who he's a um, this doctor who talks about uh, like love and how like that, that creates like you know endorphin, testosterone, oxytocin, um, like all those like love chemicals, right? So it's like, but in this case, like your brain is going into like all these like hardcore like cortisol chemicals, and then you like stay in it, and it's like unable to regulate. So it's like that's like your nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system, and that's why we reach for stuff to like self soothe, whether it's like food or whatever, and then. And then I would imagine that, like, have you had any contact or, or, like, the conditions that these kids are being kept in are, like, not up to snuff. And I also feel like, you know, the Trump administration has done so much to, like, deregulate, you know, how prisoners are taken care of and, like, what information gets shared and, like, what gets studied and, like, what words you're allowed to use whilst studying these things because um, it's like the CDC isn't allowed to do like any research on gun violence because so it's like how are you even supposed to have like an accurate picture of like what big of a problem gun violence is in this country if like the if our Center for Disease Control isn't allowed to study like controlling the disease of like killing everyone with guns so what are some of these conditions that that we're seeing these kids being kept in like on the information that is being allowed to come out
1: I don't I don't know in detail for this I've really been relying on what I've been seeing in the news I know people are describing it like cages children are ca- kept without kind of developmentally appropriate surroundings like toys and books. Instead, they're just sort of in empty spaces from what I've understood. With like concrete with the floors thermal... and like
0: fences and stuff.
1: Exactly. And then a metallic blanket and that's that's too cold.
0: Like one of those like metallic blanket things. Yeah, it's insane. Ugh. So is your nervous system being stuck in the state of uh, toxic stress for long periods of time like fixable? Or is that really what like family reunification is and that's what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. So for toxic stress, you, the immediate step is to end what's causing the stress. And I think the research is very clear. The guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics are very clear that family reunions and reunifications should be expedited and supported as soon as possible. We should stop family separations. The UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, the UN Declaration of Human Rights also support these notions. And then come the later stages of ongoing healing. And really, I think that what people need is a combination of psychological support and social support to help them cope with their environments.
0: Two questions here. What can people do watching the news that feel completely helpless in the situation that are parents and maybe they are citizens or American citizens, maybe they're abroad, maybe they're living in America and their status is undocumented. Like, where can people go? Well, actually, if you're undocumented and you need help, where do they go? And what can people do that are more in a safe place? Where can they go to help?
1: That's a great question. Well, as Obama said, don't boo, vote. I think that's very important. It, we are in a time where we have to pay attention Which to our like elections. Which is only like four
0: months away. It's like very close, you guys. This keeps like shocking me. It's like we're very close like to these midterms because we could really like thank Congress to like do something gorgeous. And actually, if— the democrats retook the house maxine waters would be the head of the finance committee she would be the ranking like congresswoman on it then she would actually be able to like get some of his bank records which i think would be gorgeous um and but the way the polls are right now is like i think that we probably wouldn't take the senate but like who knows it's 4 months away it could get cuter it just occurred to me i have a number one podcast on itunes i can say this anyone listening from the democratic party when they go low, we need to get lower. It's really in right now. It is. They do. They love it. People love a low shot. They love a Twitter war. They love to get nasty. So, but we have to do it, like, smarter. So, like, maybe a Michelle Obama-ish in the sense, like, when they go low, we go high with, like, knowledge. But our delivery has to get nasty. Like, in the words of Aaron Gibson, we need to get nasty. Like, with, we need to be so smart and so dirty because they are so smart and dirty. Or actually, is it just that they're, like, scared and not that smart? Or are they smart and scared? I, I, don't know what the other, I don't know what the other side's problem is. I really can't figure it out. I'm grasping at straws. As you can tell, you're seeing me do what I'm doing right now. Or what can people do if they, like, want to find a centralized place to, like, donate some money or their resources or time to help these people that are separated right now?
1: There's some great lists of organizations working hard on the front lines, and I will get you that information so you can post it.
0: Okay, great. So that'll be on the episode description of whatever you're listening to this device on. So that's great.
1: Really, the underlying issues are addressing poverty and the violence in Latin America, and the racism in our country that are driving this immigration and the separation of children from their families, both because of immigration and then child welfare and the juvenile justice system. And I think people can go to... You know their churches, any community organization, and act at any level that that resonates with them. And we need to think about how to protect children. That needs to become people's priority.
0: One thing that my brain keeps going back to is like, aside from like the twenty five hundred families that are currently in this situation that like and you haven't been reunified, that's currently like in the court systems, like you know like the deadlines and the Trump administration's like we need more time and la. It sounds like we've been already dealing with this issue and and dealing with individuals who have been victims of this issue and have like, you know, a list of nervous system issues and, you know, mental health issues as a result of being separated from their families. So where can people go if you, if you know someone or you are someone who like went through family separation at the hands of the criminal justice system in the United States, I feel like that's probably a pretty high amount of people. I mean, one in nine African-Americans like have a parent in the criminal justice system. What can those people do? I mean, is it just, is it therapy? Is it, is a pediatrician? Like how can people live more wholeheartedly and have, and be more healed in your experience? Like what can people really do as someone who like studies this?
1: I think the the first step is to recognize and acknowledge the trauma that family separation creates. So as a pediatrician, that might mean talking to my patient, first of all, getting a good enough social history to realize that the child is separated from at least one of their caregivers, then digging deeper to see if they might need a referral to a mental health professional. And for the person who might be in the circumstance of family separation or the parent, um, a single parent, I think realizing that it's okay to ask for help, that people are listening, that people do care, that this would be a good reason to say, hey, I want to see a counselor, I want to see a psychologist. This is really difficult.
0: And there are like counselors and psychologists that are available like to people that have like low or no income, right?
1: Yes, yes, there are.
0: And like is there like a I think there's a website that people talk about for that. We'll put that link on here too.
1: The best place to usually start is through the school system or through your healthcare provider.
0: School system. So that's a good resource. I didn't know that. That's cool. So you just like if you have like a kid in school, you just like ask like one of the teachers or something?
1: Yeah, or you, you, t- you can talk to a teacher, and then you talk to the counselors at school, and the school should help set you up with the services that you need. I interviewed one young man. He was five years old at the time that he became separated from his biological family. It was during a military raid. He was kind of left behind, and the military took him in. He was telling me about the experience of reunion with his biological parents. So first he talks about seeing his dad for the first time. He's a, a young father at the time that I interviewed him, maybe in his late 20s, early 30s. When we arrived to my dad's house, my mind was zooming. There were times that I would pinch myself. I felt frozen. I felt huge currents running in my body as if boiling water ran through me. And then he goes on to talk about seeing his biological mother for the first time. She came over and hugged me, I felt as if there was a force, like a magnet that lifts you. When she hugged me and I hugged her, I felt so different. A lot of the youth that I interviewed really talked about this feeling about being instantly transformed when they reunited with their biological mothers. And again, this is one of the reasons why it's so urgent to help the children at the and the detention facilities get back to their families as quickly as possible. And every day that they're in the detention facilities, more and more toxic stress is accumulated. Now kind of taking more of a long-term look at it, this is I'm going to read about another young man Um, who was separated from his father after months of running through the jungle, fleeing the military with his father, and then his father being assassinated. He was on his own. He was young, so he wasn't sure if he was having accurate memories of the war. I interviewed him. He was also young, um, 30 years old or so, with a 2-year-old daughter. And this is in Spanish, I'll translate. He said, I always felt alone. The fact of finding them— Uh, I don't want to say it filled all my emptiness. No, but finding them helped me to clear up my doubts, to clear up my true identity. And I feel that this quote speaks to the trauma of separation and also reminds us that reunification is a very difficult long-term process and that people need support during it. And we hear this from the youth who were separated from their families in El Salvador, and I believe that this is what we'll be hearing 10, 20 years from now as the children who are separated now grow up.
0: I feel that I got a lot of amazing information, and I feel very inspired by you and your work. Um, Dr. Barner, I know you don't like to be called that, but you are a gorgeous doctor, and... Um, gorgeous in spirit and gorgeous in real life. And um, I'm just so happy and grateful for all of the work that you do. Are you on the Twitter? Are you on the Instagram? Are you big on anywhere? Or, or Facebook? Do you do you write a lot about your work anywhere that people need to follow you?
1: That would be a good idea. I'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get
0: right back to you on that. Okay, great. Um, well, thank you so much for giving us your time. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate what you're doing for the world.
0: Thank you you've been listening to Getting Curious with me Jonathan Van Ness my guest this week was Dr. Elizabeth Barnett you'll find links to Elizabeth's work and socials in the episode description of whatever you're listening to this show on in addition to the list that she shared about where you can go to donate money and time and resources to the families separated at the border you can follow me on Instagram at JVN and Twitter at the same our theme music is Freak by Quinn thank you so much to her for letting us use it if you enjoyed our show please go on to one of those links uh, and donate your time and your resources and your money to the family that uh, the American government separated at the border. You don't need to subscribe. You don't need to click anything else. Just uh, click the link to one of those uh, lists and please uh, help these families. Hey. We get a lot of tweets, honey. We get all the tweets. Some of them are asking for our episodes to be a bit longer. Some of them are for, uh, you know, wanting me to do episodes where people ask me for advice. So I'm setting up a gorgeous voicemail number where you can call with questions. And I'm going to be making a bonus podcast series where I try to answer them. Like, I don't know what's going on with your hair. Like it's she gets so oily and you just can't get through and you try all the things, but it doesn't work. Or like, I don't know how to exfoliate or like this girl will not pay no attention to me, or this guy will not leave me alone. It's kind of like a dear Abby, but she's kind of beauty, and then she's kind of life, and she's kind of, you basically just like ask me stuff, you know, based off of my life experience. Um, Am I a doctor? No. Should you take my advice? You be the judge of that. Uh, I'm just making you a gorgeous bonus podcast series that I want you to take part of. So, uh, keep your questions as short as possible, but cute. Uh, We want to keep them focused, and as you can see, that is an issue for me. So, uh, use a fake name if you want to remain anonymous, or you can uh, tell us your real name if you want to not be anonymous, uh, but make sure you know. Um, And leave your phone number if you're willing to have me call you back. So, honey, leave that number. Uh, The show will be coming to Stitcher Premium later this year. The number is 323-606-9351. Again, that's 323-606-9351. And don't worry if you can't remember it. We'll Include it in the show's episode description so you can just open your phone and find it there. Problems, advice, or whatever you're curious about, give me a call. 323-606-9351.